0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. So our first reading is on page 586 and it's Psalm 73. Page 586, Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped, I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles, their bodies are healthy and strong, they are free from the burdens common to man, they are not plagued by human ills, therefore pride is their necklace, they clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity, the evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors, As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. And our second reading can be found on page 1216. It's James chapter 5, verses 1 to 12 page 1216 James chapter 5 verses 1 to 12 now listen you rich people weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes your gold and silver are corroded their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire you have hoarded wealth in the last days look look The wages you fail to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, or you will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Let's pray together. Father God, we do indeed thank you for your word, Uh, how precious it is to us, how good it has been to hear it tonight uh, together as your people. Uh, We pray now by your mighty Spirit that you would indeed uh, speak that word in such a way that you would bend us, uh, shape us, refashion us uh, more into the likeness of your Son for our good and your glory's sake. Amen. Please take a seat. And uh, please turn back in your Bibles to James chapter 5. We are in the penultimate week of this series. We're going to be looking at James chapter 5, verses 7-7. To 11 uh, tonight, so it's worth uh, finding that. It's page 1216 of the Church Bibles, James 5 7 to 11. Uh, Last weekend, some six and a half years into our time uh, here in the UK, marked my first proper visit to Scotland. Uh, Finally, uh, we made it to the glorious real north of Britain. And as we uh, drove up the motorway, as we crossed uh, across the border to Scotland, uh, the urge overtook me almost instantly to put on my fake Scottish accent and recite uh, many speeches from the movie Braveheart with that famous Scotsman, Mel Gibson. (laughs) Uh, Truth be known, though, my uh, fake Scottish accent sounds just like my fake Irish accent, which uh, bears a remarkable resemblance to my fake Indian accent. (laughs) But despite its lack of authenticity and despite Liz's protests, I uh, continued on with loud recitations of speeches from Braveheart as we saw the beautiful hills all around us. It is a great movie, uh, much for its historical accuracy as anything, finally clearing up the much-forgotten fact that William Wallace was, in fact, Australian. (laughs) Uh, But my favourite moment in the movie comes from the scene uh, from the Battle of Stirling Bridge, Uh, There you have the heavy English cavalry charging at this uh, tiny, almost pathetic Scottish infantry and you can almost see them quaking in their boots, the fear growing as this uh, awesome army charges at them. Uh, The impulse to run or perhaps charge wildly forward must have been huge but there is William Wallace standing in front of them simply shouting over and over again, hold, hold, hold until the perfect moment. And as we near the end of James, I think that's exactly what the Spirit of God wants to say to us tonight. Uh, he is going to sound that same call in God's word to us uh, from James chapter 5. As we've gone along, James is a book that has called upon a battered and bewildered believers in Jesus Christ to keep going, to hold their faith in Jesus. And to hold that by humbly heeding the word their God speaks to them, the word of truth. It's a call that has come to them amidst of great trials that have hit them. uh, Persecution, trials from just living in a world like ours, trials from even within. And as we've seen the contours of their world, we see it's just like ours. Uh, The challenges to our faith in Jesus are just as real. And so this is a precious word. A precious word to any who would seek to live by faith in Jesus Christ. And so to us comes the call tonight. Hold, hold hold and we know as uh, Peter just declared from uh, 1 verse 4 that why we are holding why it is worth persevering do you remember it it's really the theme verse for this series uh, James 1 verse 4 our humble heeding faith is shaping us through everything we face uh, to become mature and complete lacking nothing like the son of God And so James says, with all that's going on around you, don't lose sight of the main game of life, humbly heeding this word of truth that can save you. But the question that's been uh, bubbling away, and it uh, really came to the surface last week as we started chapter five together, is this, uh, I've heard that, James, uh, but let's be honest. Uh, How is persevering by faith and not missing out in this life? As I look around, as we've heard really in Psalm 73, and I reflect on all that hits me in a world like this, it's hard, James, not to feel like you're missing out. It's hard not to envy those who arrogantly ignore God and yet seem to prosper. Those who seem to sail through life. How easy it is to look at this world and have a view of life that says that if you heed the wisdom of the world, if you live ultimately for yourself, you will prosper. And so it becomes increasingly difficult to keep going to hold this ground of faith. Especially when those around you who build their life on other things like wealth, as we saw at the start of chapter 5, they seem to prosper. Uh, but James 5, 1-11 is really a sort of a two-part response to that fear. Uh, those verses declare really four words that change the way we view life. Uh, here are those four words. The Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. Here, with news of those words, we realize as Christians what the gospel has always told us that the decisive event in all history has already come. Uh, The death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus has changed history forever. Uh, He is Lord of all. And all that awaits, the the moment that awaits this world, the moment that we are ticking towards, the day that is coming is the day He will come back uh, as Lord and Judge. That's the reality that changes everything. It is, as C. S. Lewis puts it in his essay, The World's Last Night, he says this I wonder whether people who ask God to interfere openly and directly in a world in our world quite realise what it will be like when he does. God is going to invade, all right. And when that happens, it is the end of the world. And when the author walks onto the stage, the play is over. And so there it is, four words that change everything. The Lord is coming. He is near. Verse 9, he is standing at the door. Life is not one steady, self-exalting march towards prosperity. That might be the view we have as we look around. No, as we saw last Sunday night, the future of those who live for themselves, their future is miserable. The gods we make for ourselves in place of the true God, they are miserable gods and they will ruin us, and we will be judged by the Lord Jesus for it forever. Four words that change everything about how we view life and the future. The Lord is coming. He is near. He is standing at the door. And so that was really the call of last week. See the future of those who live for for themselves, and remember the future of those who live by faith. Chapter 1, verse 4. And so really to that end, 5 verses 7 to 11 is just a final battle call to the faithful. We're really back where we were at the very start of this letter with a call to persevere, to hold. And so let's hear that threefold call to hold the line. Firstly, and perhaps most dominantly in these verses, the call to be patient. As you persevere by faith before the Lord's coming, be patient. It's hard to miss it, isn't it? Two times we're told in verse 7, be patient then, my brothers. Again in verse 8, be patient. Uh, verse 10, and then twice more in verse 11, persevere. I reckon patience is a misunderstood uh, idea in our world. We, we view patience as a virtue. I mean, that's how the saying goes, isn't it? Patience, possess it if you can, seldom found in women, never found in men. Patience uh, is something spoken of as something I can work on. Perhaps I need to be more patient. Now, some have lots of patience. Others have little patience. But we can all work on it. And so when we hear this call to be patient, we think, we think, right, brilliant. Okay, that's my job for the week ahead. Be more patient. I'm going to put that on the fridge in big letters. Be more patient. And it should be fine. But that's not the biblical picture of patience at all. Patience is a fruit a fruit of the work of the Spirit in our lives. Patience is a fruit born in my life when I humbly accept the word of my God, the word of the Spirit of God. A word which, uh, you remember back in 121, has been planted in us like a a tree of life that's meant to grow fruit, fruit like patience. And so we must be clear, patience is not so much a a matter of personality, there's some calm people and then there's passionate, impulsive, sort of hot-headed people. That's a myth the Bible won't let us buy. Patience is not a personality trait. It is the consequence of knowing God. It is the consequence of responding to his uh, word with humble, heeding faith. Hearing the word of promise the gospel gives us and trusting that word. Patience equals ongoing trust in what God has promised you. That Christ has died for your sins that Christ rose for your justification and life, that Christ will come again. We are to patiently hold to those promises. But how hard that is for us, this whole concept of waiting, how sort of against our natural disposition, against who we are, we're out of practice, we're instant people and we want everything and we want it right now. It's as Paul Williams uh, told me this week, we are people of instant credit, instant coffee, and instant custard. And good luck if you go to his house for dinner. (laughs) But this is what humble faith looks like. Humble enough to heed this counterintuitive call to just stand still. As all around us is moving, as trials hit us, as the Lord's coming, imminent coming, seems to just drag and drag Everything around us seems to suggest I should be a flurry of movement and activity. No, wait patiently. It's a call to wait on what has been promised. Be patient, says James, as this growth that has been promised, this growth towards maturity and completeness is slow and patchy and frustrating. Be patient because you know the one who has promised this will finish the work He started. And be patient in the midst of trials as uh, our self-sufficient impulse takes over as the situation we find ourselves in is, is almost unbearable and we think the solution is I must get out of it. No, be patient. Wait on the Lord. And be patient as the cost of holding the line of faith in this world mounts up. And be patient as you wait and wait and wait for his promise coming. Humbly fix your hearts on that day. I mean, that's what we sang tonight, isn't it, in our first hymn, High King of Heaven, when battle is done, grant heaven's joys to me, bright heaven's sun, Christ of my own heart, whatever before, still be my vision, O ruler of all, be patient. Fix your heart on him and his coming. And let's be honest, Uh, this call to be patient literally means this. It means to suffer long, that's what the word means. So be patient, suffer long with whatever comes. And especially with each other. I think this is the thing that struck me most this week. If if growth in me is slow and patchy, odds are the person next to me, it's going to be just as slow and patchy. And so living together, being close to each other, is going to be hard. And so the call is as we wait for the Lord to come, be patient with each other. Our second part of this call, you see there in verse 9, don't grumble. Uh, Don't grumble against each other, verse 9. And of course, uh, grumbling is is the sound an impatient person makes, isn't it? Uh, The call to humble, heeding faith is a call to rest on the promises of the gospel. And so grumbling is the sound someone who has grown restless makes. Ultimately, we we grumble when we grow tired of waiting. Waiting on Jesus to come, ultimately, but waiting on change to come in ourselves, waiting on it in each other. And when especially that change in each other is slow, uh, that's where we get this call in verse 9 not to grumble against, not just generally, against each other. Uh, When relationships seem not to be fair, we want to, remember we saw this a few weeks ago, we want to play the judge. We want to speed the whole process up before the judge comes. Uh, We declare the verdict. Uh, We want action. Uh, Rather than waiting for the judge who, verse 9, is standing at the door. Uh, How Good is that news for those who wait on him, for he will judge. But what terrible news, as we saw back in chapter 2, verse 13, for those who want to play the judge and express that by grumbling against each other. Ultimately, grumbling is the sound a double-minded, double-hearted life makes. That he is God's word of promise, but in unbelief forgets it. And chases after some other promise that can be won through selfish ambition. So let me ask you this. How do we heed this call to be patient and not grumble? To persevere by faith? It's easy, isn't it, to feel weak in 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 the hearing of that call, unable to keep going. Yes, I'd like to be more patient. I'd like to not grumble, but it's hard. How do we heed this battle call as trials come against us? Well, this passage gives us only one way forward. Now, you see it there in verse 8. In the words of the singer Ben Howard, the only way to do it is to keep your heart strong. Have a look, verse 8, two words, stand firm. Or more literally, uh, establish your hearts, keep your heart strong. You want to run the marathon of faith? You want to persevere? You'll need a strong heart. This is not a call to try harder. That's the danger, isn't it, of a book like James with so many calls on us. Don't show favoritism. Watch your tongue. All of these things. The strength is not in us. The only way to keep your heart strong is captured, I think, most clearly in Hebrews 13 verse 9 where we're simply told this. You strengthen your heart by grace. It is the word of grace that will keep your heart strong. And so here is why James has been so strong on calling us to heed the word of God because he knows this is a word that can carry us, that can strengthen our hearts. And what's wonderful about what we've seen in the book of James is that there's no end to that resource, that word of grace. It is, you remember it in James 4 verse 6, as as sort of we grow uh, weary, as we grow impatient, as grumbling builds in us, his response, James 4 verse 6, he gives more grace. And so wait, humbly heeding this word of grace, which will change you as you wait for his coming. And Let this word strengthen you. Rest on the certain promises of your God. He is coming. And when he does, you will be like him. And what will that look like? Uh, to wait patiently with a strong heart? Well, briefly, let's finish with the three pictures uh, that James gives us in these verses. Three, if you like, real life Illustrations that James gives of what humble, patient faith looks like as we wait on our God. Now, the first of them you see there in verse 7, we're told, see the farmer. Now, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. Now, here's a picture of what patient faith looks like. Now, the farmer waits independence, doesn't he? I mean, have a look carefully at the picture. He is in control of absolutely none of the process. None of the outcome. Every aspect is out of his reach. It's the land that produces the crop, not him. It's the rain that brings the growth, not him. What is he doing? He's just standing there waiting. This is a picture of persevering, patient faith that James has given us over the weeks. We are to humbly receive the rainfall of God's word of truth. Uh, which will grow in us, the crop of maturity and completeness. Uh, The more that rain soaks deep in our lives, the more growth will come. We must wait patiently. Now, this is a work of God's mighty word, not our work. Now, secondly, notice this. This is brilliant. The farmer waits, you see it there, for his valuable crop. He's waiting for something incredibly precious. And uh, have a think about the scenario. Here he is. He's a subsistence farmer. Here he is in his one plot of land, his allotment, if you like. And there in that land, whatever comes out of that land at the harvest, that's his whole life. Everything hangs on a crop coming, as it is with us. Humble faith knows that heeding God's word of promise is where life is found, that the crop it produces in our life is our life, our very future, maturity, completeness, lacking nothing, being like his son. That is the crop growing in us, how precious it is. I mean, the image that came to my mind this week, uh, looking at that image, is, it's a bit like the parable of the pearl of great price. As the, as the, as the guy comes across this field with his amazing pearl in it, and he says, I must buy the field. Everything hangs on being where that field is. I will not leave this place. Well, that's what patient faith looks like, holding the ground of the promises of the gospel because here is my life. Now, see the second picture, verse 10. See the prophets. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. What encouragement, I think, is here for the first readers. Remember, they were persecuted, chased out of Jerusalem, still oppressed, All because they live and speak for the Lord Jesus. Well, here in verse 11, they're told this. Such perseverance is blessed. Consider the prophets. Consider any of them, really. Let's consider, for example, Jeremiah, whose life, as you read it in the scriptures, involves just being constantly battered by trials. All for trusting and speaking the word of God. And here's what James says about this life, and this is remarkable, isn't it? Because he's, he's just trying to take these people's eyes off envying those around them who are prospering. He says, you want to envy someone, take someone like Jeremiah. There is a blessed life, an enviable life, the sort of life you should want in on. It's a remarkable answer to that growing fear, isn't it? This is the good life, a battered prophet, living and speaking for Jesus, and patient in the face of suffering because he is confident in his God. Uh, This is the life we are being called to imitate. That's why these examples are here. They're not there as sort of lofty examples that we can't follow. Because how much more can we live this way? How much more reason have you to be sure tonight that God is good and his purposes for you are good? Because you know how committed he is to you. He who laid down his life for you. And so James simply says to us, stand here on the ground of your faith and hold there hold to the cross of your saviour see your brother jesus hanging there for you see the love of god for you that his one and only son walked into this broken world and laid down his life for you stand there and see yes you can trust his purposes and you can wait for him to come humbly patiently and a final example as we close see job verse 11 You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. I love uh, how he's given us the example of Job here. He's a realistic example. We've just been told not to grumble. And if you've ever read Job, there is a man who does grumble along the way and for very good reason. But he did not abandon his faith, did he? He clung to his God continually, patiently hoping in him. Job is a man of humble, heeding faith who walked by God's ways. And you remember what happened to him, don't you? Unbelievable suffering. I say unbelievable, except that people do go through immense trials and suffering, just like Job. There are stories like that in this room. But Job lost everything, including his own family. But do you remember the words of Job in the midst of that trial? Job got up, And he tore his robe and he shaved his head and he fell to the ground in worship. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. That's what James means by patience. Job was a man, try this. Job was a man who so trusted his God that he believed everything he had came from his father of heavenly Lights. And that God had the right to take it all back. And if he did, God is good. And he can trust him. Humble, heeding, patient faith. And James says here, you see what the Lord finally brought about in Job's life, don't you? And you have to read to the very end of the book of Job, the very last chapters, to see this as the Lord restores Job. And then some, it is spectacular. The story of Job is the story of what our God is like. And so as we close, let me simply ask you this. Do you think, ultimately, in the details of life, do you think those who patiently trust God will be let down by him? In the end. Do you think? The story of Job's testimony is that they will not. Even through the trials such as Job faced, in the end, those who trust God will not be let down. Job was sure of it. Now wouldn't you like to be that sure? To have complete confidence in God's purposes, whatever comes, that you can trust him? You can, of course. And how much more? Because God has demonstrated his love for you that while you were a sinner, he died for you. And so tonight, let me ask, do you humbly, patiently trust him? If not, I ask you, what more can he do for you? Hasn't he made it clear enough yet? Hasn't he demonstrated his goodness to you in a clear enough way yet? What more can he do? The son of God walked into this world and laid down his life for you. What more do you want? God raised his son from death to life. Grave, The grave couldn't hold him as we've sung tonight. What more powerful thing could he do to demonstrate his good purposes for you than he's already done? He is coming soon, and when he does, you will be like him. What more can he do? You can trust him. Humbly, patiently trust him. And so heed the call of life in this disordered world. Hold, hold, hold. Wait for his coming. Well, let's pray. And Father God, we do so uh, long to be those who humbly and patiently await for your coming. Uh, Please give us more grace. We need more grace this week to live that way. Please uh, give us that. Uh, Cause us to humbly heed the word that we have heard this night. Amen.